Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries, published by Henry Press, and host of the Cozy Corner Podcast, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Joining me today in the Cozy Corner is Edith Maxwell, author of the Quaker Midwife Mysteries, the fifth novel in the series, Judge Thee Not, released on September 10th. Thank you for joining me, Edith. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Can you introduce us to your Quaker Midwife series? Oh, sure. Um, Rose Carroll is an independent midwife um, tending to prenatal clients and helping at their births um, in the late 1880s in a bustling mill and and factory town in northeastern Massachusetts. Um, And she... um, she hears secrets and can go places where the police can never go, that is, women's bedchambers. And um, she finds she has a facility for um, solving crimes. And um, by this book, by the fifth book, she has gotten the, um, the goodwill of, of the um, local police detective. In the first book or two, he was a bit suspicious of her um, helping, but now he's act eager to have her, um, you know, input on what's going on. Yeah. And how did you decide to set a mystery series in the 1800s, sorry, the 1800s, and um, choose a midwife as your protagonist? Um, I'll address the second part first. Um, <clears throat> many years ago, uh, uh, some decades ago, I taught independent childbirth classes. So I wasn't a midwife myself, but I, um, in my living room, I, you know, would have three or four or five couples who were pregnant and looking forward to their birth and wanting to know what it was all about. And um, I would also offer my services as a doula, as a labor support person. So I would go along as the the knowledgeable but non-medical person to kind of help them through their labor and birth um, or interpret what the medical people were doing at the birth center or hospital. So I was really um, educated about and involved in that um, in that field. Um, I um, I've been interested in 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 history in the north of Boston area for oh about twenty years, and um, I live in antique houses, and I live with someone who renovates antique houses, and we would go around and and um, go to open houses of um, historic houses, and um, we moved to the town where I'd been attending Quaker meeting for uh, by let's see at that time about um, twenty three years. We moved here to Amesbury seven years ago, and. Um, I read an article, and I could now, rather than driving to church on Sunday, I could walk. I could walk in less than 15 minutes. And um, I read an article in the local paper, excuse me, about um, the Great Fire of 1888. Um, Amesbury in that time was world famous for its carriages. It had many carriage factories and factories that made all the parts that go into carriages, the wheels and the upholstery and stuff. And um, the Great Fire burned down many of the carriage factories. And, I, and, and the house we had moved into was built in 1880 for the mill workers. So just down the hill, a block down the hill, 
there were the Hamilton mill, um, cotton and woolen mills. There were like, uh, I think there were nine buildings at its heyday. And some of them are still existing in the, and house things like hardware stores and pizza places. And um, I was walking to Quaker meeting after I read that newspaper article and I got an idea in my head as we mystery authors do, of a Quaker mill girl um, who solved the mystery of the arson of um, 1888. Now, you know, the mills were often populated by these young women, teenagers, um, many of whom came in from the surrounding farms or even from overseas to, to get work in these mill towns in Amesbury and Lawrence and Lowell, um, towns on rivers. And so I wrote a short story about that Quaker Mill girl, Faith Bailey, and um, it was published in Best New England Crime Fiction of the next year, 2013, I think, or 14. And um, the characters and setting didn't want to go away. And I thought, well, I'd better write the novel because <laughs> I was already writing um, one cozy, contemporary cozy series for Kensington Publishing, The Local Foods Mysteries. And... Um, I wrote the first book and I sold it to Midnight Inc. in a three-book contract, and and I'm bit off. And I turned out I love being a, a amateur historian. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. Well, I guess uh, in, in that area you're pretty much surrounded by history all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I can walk around the streets and see places where I've set scenes or where I want to, and I have antique maps. I have the 1880 and 1890 maps, and I have them digitally. I have them on my computer, so I can zoom in and see, was that street here, we're here then, or was that street built after 1890? <laughs> um, was that building there then? You know, churches, and um, so, yeah, it's fun. Uh, uh, speaking of history, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, the Quaker Mill girls, women uh, working in factories, basically. Your, your protagonist is a working woman. So people may have some preconceived notions about what women did and didn't do in the 1800s. So what in your novels might surprise readers about the role of women in the 19th century? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so my Quaker midwife is a what we might call a middle-class woman. She's not poor, but she's not she doesn't need a chaperone. She doesn't use a chaperone to go around town. She doesn't own a carriage. She doesn't, um, <clears throat> and doesn't really want to have money, uh, that kind of money and that kind of um, elite elite society where you you went you went visiting and paid you know dropped your 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 card and, and your visiting card in someone's brass um, dish in their in their front hall. Um, <clears throat> she observes that stuff. So she's an outsider. Um, and um, in this book, in Judge Thee Not, um, one of the main characters is a blind woman who is pregnant. She's trilingual. She speaks French and Polish as well as English. And she's an interpreter for the courts. Um, and so she's a working woman. She's married. She's got a two-year-old. And then she's got this baby brewing in her. And... Um, so Rose is taking care of her, and it turns out that um, at what I discovered in the in that era, um, the cultural attitudes were that blind and deaf people were morons. They they were stupid. They were not capable of learning. And so people say things in Jeanette Popka's presence, like at the court, 
and they and they say right right in her presence. Well, she's a moron. She doesn't. She won't. You don't know what she's, we, we're talking about. She's probably deaf too. You know. So then she tells Rose those secrets that she hears, um, and she's actually based on a Quaker friend of mine who's been blind her whole life and is a perfectly competent member of society and a social worker and a musician and. Um, uh, uh, so, so that's one working woman besides Rose. Um, Rose's good friend Bertie Winslow is the postmistress, and um, rides her horse astride, not side saddle. And it's a very irreverent, um, sort of a unconventional member of society. Um, happens to be a lesbian and lives with her 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 lover Sophie, who's a lawyer. So I I I kind of I ease in these other working women. Um, and, and Faith, the one in the first short story and in the books, she's Rose's niece, and um, she's been working in the mill, but she really wants to be a writer, she wants to be a journalist, and she starts trying to work her way into working for the paper, and by, by book five, she's writing for the newspaper. Um, so this happened. I mean, people... You know, and 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 and, a lo- and many of Rose's clients. One of her clients is a, <clears throat> a French Canadian woman who um, who I don't know has four or five children, and she takes in piecework and laundry, so she does embroidery and mending and sewing at home, and you know lives in a kind of like a tenement. Um, so I, I really try to research the the lives of the people that not the not the society people, but the real the, the rest of society, which is everybody, um, and, and what women's lives were like. Because we don't we don't at least when I was growing up, and I think still partly we don't read that in the history books. We don't read that that much, and I I want to I want to bring the, that that side of life into my books. Okay, so your so your books will give a more well-rounded picture of, of what women did, uh, quote, back in the day. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. And um, you also mentioned um, going to meetings. I'm assuming uh, that you're also also a Quaker or a member of the, the Religious Society of Friends yourself? I am a, I've been a member of the Religious Society of Friends for 30 years, um, the whole time here in Amesbury. And... Um, yeah, I love bringing that in, and um, um, it really informs Rose's life. Um, it makes her something of an outsider because um, Quakers in that day spoke with thee and thy instead of you. They um, they didn't use titles to people, so she uses her the detective's first name and the mayor's first name, and um, which you know <laughs> sets people back a little bit. Um, and, and they wore plain, what, what they call plain, what we call plain dress. So, um, they would have worn, I've, and I've researched that, there's research in so many areas, but they wore basically the styles of maybe 10 years ago without any, what I call frippery. So there's no flounces, there's no feathers, there's no lace. It's very plain, just plain dress. And the men dressed in plain dark clothing and suspenders and the men didn't doff their hats to people in power because one of the main tenets of Quakerism is that we are all we all have that of God in us we are all equal in God's eyes and if we're all equal in God's eyes what makes the president any better than me what makes the priest any better than me you know so that's why they didn't the men didn't doff their hats they didn't um 
take them off inside, and people used first names, and women had an equal place in the running of the church, and always did. And they were, they were in the forefront of the abolition movement and the women's suffrage movement, were Quakers, Quaker women. Um, and I, I love kind of working that in, but it really does inform Rose's mm, everything she does. <laughs> she trusts people. She has integrity. She um, lives with simplicity. She um, wouldn't, well, okay, I was going to say she wouldn't dream of hurting someone, but when she, she has to defend herself a couple of times in this, in this series <laughs> against a, an attacker, and um, she doesn't influence. She wouldn't kill someone, but she does. She is able to defend herself when she needs to, which might surprise some people. And have have fellow Quakers been supportive of your your crime-solving protagonist being a member of, of the community, or does that cause any upset? Oh, oh, people love the, the Quakers love the books. Yeah, I was featured in the Friends Journal, which is the national Quaker magazine. Um, Last spring, yeah, I think it was last spring, um, they had an arts issue, and I wrote a whole article about, um, like, writing crime fiction as a Quaker, <laughs> sort of from the author's point of view, right? Here I kill people in my books, um, and how do I reconcile that with the testimony of nonviolence? Um, and, and I have to market my books, right? It's not a very modest thing to do, to... to like tell the world about my books, but I try to, I do try to conduct myself, um, well, in a, and with integrity, let's put it that way. Um, no, no, people have been very supportive. Um, it's a warm day in New England today when we're recording this, and a friend at Quaker meeting this morning said, oh, I'm taking your, your book to the beach. I'm, that's all I'm doing today. I'm just reading on the beach, reading the latest Quaker midwife mystery. <laughs> wow. You go, Priscilla. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, you tackle some serious issues in your novel, such as prejudice, uh, the role of women, uh, questions about sexuality, yet they still fall under the, the historical cozy umbrella. So what's your response to critics who dismiss cozies as all fluff and no substance? Oh my gosh, they haven't read, they haven't really read cozies then, because um, and yeah, these are shelved as traditional novels, and they're they're really a bit a bit away from the cozy. They they're a bit darker. Uh, the Quaker Midwife Mysteries. You know, I do write two cozy series as Maddie Day, um, and but those tackle difficult issues too, and um, uh, you know, difficult things happen in people's lives, and people have romance, and they they. They tackle, you know, it's, it's real life. There are um, people who are discriminated against. In Judge the Not, it's really a theme of judgment and discrimination um, against this woman who's blind, against the lesbian, against immigrants. And, you know, unfortunately, some of the, those issues, those are still issues today. And in um, the second book, Called to Justice, um, there was a former slave who owns his own business and was kind of assisted by John Greenleaf Whittier to, um, to, for his freedom. And, and he's accused of the crime by somebody, and it's only 20 years after the Civil War, um, 20, you know, 20 
four years after the Civil War when the book takes place. And, and even in Massachusetts, there were a lot of people who were extremely prejudiced against former slaves. And um, these were things that happened. Um, in, in the Charities Burden, the most recent one previous that came out last April, um, you know, Rose, um, her women come to her when they're pregnant and they want help with their pregnancy and birth, but they also come to her when they don't want to be pregnant. And birth control in those days was not that reliable, but there were things you could do. And there were herbal um, remedies for pregnancy um, that might induce an abortion. And then there were the extremely life-threatening um, I think in the book I call them mechanical abortions were, you know, equivalent to 56 years ago with coat hangers. And, you know, most many women died. So she has a client who is bleeding out and claims it's a miscarriage and Rose thinks it's way too much blood for a miscarriage. And we go from there. So I address those issues and that's still an issue, right? Birth control and abortion is still an issue today. And I think that it's, well, these are the backdrop to the mystery, these issues. Um, they were issues then and they're issues today, and and I hope that people see those parallels. From my reviews, it seems that people do. Now, you, you mentioned your, your other series uh, that you write as Maddie Day, the Country Store Mysteries and the Cozy Capers Book Group Mysteries. What challenges do you face writing three different series? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Um, you know, so I write three books a year or more. Um, I, 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 um, I did a recent blog post, um, Monday the 23rd on, on the Wicked, September 23rd on the Wicked Authors blog that I'm part of. And, um, I realized that five books came out this year. Wow. <laughs> One of them is a novella in a three novella collection as Maddie Day the Christmas cocoa murder, but that's a lot of books. Um, I, I, I am a disciplined writer. I treated it. I'm, I no longer have a day job. I haven't had one for six years or so. So I treat my writing as my job. I'm working by seven every morning, except Sunday. I take, I give myself a day of rest on Sunday and, um, I work all morning. I'm either writing first draft and I'm writing at least 1500 words or I'm revising and editing and, um, and I try to just, just, just drive through that first draft until I have it done. And I've written a first draft in as little as, as few as six weeks. Um, the current one, I think I finished it on um, last week and it was, um, I think eight weeks, but I had some interruptions in there. Um, and I, and I really try to just really focus on that first draft. And I'm a former technical writer, among other careers. And, and so technical writing has no fluff at all. And so my first drafts are always way too short. And, I, you know, books ago I used to panic, and now I go, eh, it's too short, so I'm going to revise. You know, I know I'm going to get up to my, the word count my, my editor would like to see. Um, I do not get, a lot of people ask if I get my characters and stuff confused. I don't get them confused at all. When I was first writing, when I was first writing two series, I was in a writing, a critique group. And um, one of the members was particularly good at going, oh, wait a minute, 
Lauren Rousseau would do that, but Cam Flaherty would not do that. <laughs> oh, you're right. You know, like I was mixing up my protagonists just a little bit occasionally, but I don't, I don't do that at all because they're, they're all so real to me, and the setting is so real. And um, for a while, so my local food series, which went for five books, was in third person, and my other ones are in first person. And I would sometimes I would flip the wrong point, you know. If I'm writing in first person or third person, but now I write them all in first person, so that doesn't confuse me. So far, I haven't written any books in with more than one point of view. I'd like to try that, and I know that will be a challenge. Um, I, the next project I take on, I will I will try that. But um, so there are challenges. So anyway, when I try to crank through the first draft, that goes well, except then I get in proofs page proofs from a different series and they have to be in next week oh so i have to down the first draft do the page proofs and go back and then i have to or i get in you know copy edits on a different series you know so i have to do the thing that's due first right um so that you know and then and then or i'm writing a, i'm finishing a book in one series and i have to a, a book is coming out in a different series and i have to promote it i have to do guest blog you know what it's like guest blog posts and all that stuff, um, all the stuff. <laughs> so those are challenges. Um, but I, really, Alexia, I'm living my dream, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I I absolutely love this career, this last career of mine. It's it's, it's fabulous. Yeah. And you have a day job. You have to work around that stuff too. I do, but my day job is different enough from my writing that there's no danger of getting them confused. <laughs> That's true, right, yeah, it's not fiction. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of promotion, you've got some appearances coming up in the October and November. So where can readers meet you and learn more about your books? Oh my goodness, um, just bringing up my calendar. Let's see, um, well, <clears throat> when is this podcast coming out? I have that in my... Uh, October 6th. October 6th, that will be, well, Okay, so after October 6th, we're, um, the, the 4th, 5th, and 6th, the Wicked Authors, the, my group blog, we're going to appear three different places in New Hampshire, but that will be too late for this. Um, let's see, I'm going to be um, reading at the Victoria Mansion in Portland, Maine on Friday, the 11th, October 11th, and, and Saturday, October 12th, as part of their... Um, Oh, Murder and Mayhem Weekend or something. I'm not quite sure. I've never done it before. On October 19th, I'll be at the Boston Book Festival on a panel at 11 in the morning, a mystery panel. Um, <clears throat> I'll be at the Wareham, Massachusetts Library Mystery Club on October 10th. Um, see, I'm going to be on a guest on a blog. I'm going to be on a... Um, the Chicks on the Case blog on October 30th and giving a talk to the Newburyport Village, Newburyport, Massachusetts on October 16th. And then we go to November um, and I'll be at the New England Crime Bay where I am co-chair um, October 8th, 9th, and 10th. And I'm on a panel on the 9th and I'll be everywhere. <laughs> um, 
And after that, I am not sure if I have anything scheduled till the spring. But I know things will pop up. I have an events tab at edithmaxwell.com. And my website has all of my, uh, all my names, all my series, all my short stories, my bio and all that. So, and how to sign up for my newsletter. Um, so the events tab of my website will have the most current information. Um, and I apologize. I actually misspoke. October 2nd is when this podcast will be up. It's on a Wednesday. October oh. 6th is a Sunday. So actually October okay. 6th. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to revise that then. Um, on October set on uh, October fourth, I will be at with the with the Wicked Authors. It's a Kensington sponsored Wicked Authors tour, so there's six of us. I'll be at Jabberwocky Bookstore in Newburyport, Massachusetts, on the fourth at seven p.m. On the fifth, I'll be in Wolfboro, Massachusetts, from four to six um, with the um, Country booksellers, and on October 6th, I will be at White Birch Books in Conway, New Hampshire. So those are additions to the schedule. (laughs) And I'm always at the Killer Characters blog, killercharacters.com, on the third of the month. And I'm with the Wicked Authors blog every weekday. Um, We have Wicked Wednesdays, we have... We have guests, we have, so I'm, I'm can always be found there too. And other than your website and your blogs, uh, where else on social media can readers find you? You can find me on Facebook at Edith Maxwell. Edith Maxwell, I have a, a Facebook page and Maddie Day has a page. Um, Maddie Day and Edith Maxwell both have Instagram pages and we both have um Twitter page, Twitter accounts. Um, Maddie Day is always as Maddie Day author because I didn't do the best job of picking that pen name. Uh, so there are other Maddie Days out there. Okay. <laughs> so you got to look for Maddie Day author. Okay. Yeah. Any, any secret to that pen name? No. Well, a little bit. Um, I I wrote the local foods mysteries for Kensington as Edith Maxwell. And um, I wanted to get another series started because I, um, I, I had a feeling they weren't going to extend it indefinitely. It wasn't doing super well. I mean, they had a lot of fans, but it wasn't. It's a set on an organic farm in Massachusetts. And I used to have an organic farm, and so I know what I'm talking about. But it wasn't doing super well in sales. And so... I brainstormed the country store mysteries with my agent and we proposed it to my editor at Kensington. He said, I'd love it, but I want you to use a pen name because they, they wanted it to look like a different, a new author in the bookstores um, and in, you know, sales. So um, I wanted to be Ruthie Drew. I love the name Ruthie. If I'd had a daughter, I would have named her Ruthie, (laughs) but I didn't. I had two boys. Um, and Drew, you know, sort of in honor of Nancy Drew. And he said that sounded too old. Okay. All right. And then I thought, well, let's see. I had this great niece named Maddie. That sounds young. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, like, I didn't really check out other Maddie days in the world. And um, anyway, that's the name. And, uh, and then when... They did cancel the local foods and uh, not extend the local food series after five books. Um, 
my editor said he'd love to have another series from Maddie Day. I said, okay, now, now that's my name that's succeeding. So, and those are my pages. Those are the two series that just sell hugely well. The Quaker Midwife series are popular, but the, the two contemporary cozies are my paycheck, really. Um, okay, okay, I got Maddie Day and I'm, I'm hanging with her. <laughs> so that's the story, that name. <laughs> and yeah. speaking of uh, bookstores, which bookstores uh, or online sellers can readers uh, get your books? Well, um, all my books are at. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Okay, so all my books are at Amazon. They're all. All my books are available in ebook and and print. Um, the Cozy Capers Book Group Mysteries has one book out, it's Murder on Cape Cod, and until December 31st, it's only available from Barnes & Noble in paperback, but as of December 31st, it's going to go to wide release. It was on a one-year exclusive Kensington Barnes & Noble deal, um, and that series and the Country Store series, the Country Store series is also in audio, and the Cozy Caper series will be. Um, the um, and those are all available to be ordered from independent bookstores. The Quaker Midwife Mysteries through book four, I'm sorry, it's complicated, <laughs> were with Midnight Inc. And they're um, available to be ordered by independent bookstores. Um, they're not on audio. The Judge the Not is at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, but it's not yet available to be ordered from independent bookstores, and it's not on audio yet. The pub I had to move to a new publisher when Midnight Inc. was closed last fall. So it's a little complicated story, but there you can find them all on Amazon at the very least. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Edith. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, this has been really lovely, Alexia. Thank you for inviting me. And I hope you will find me on my website and sign up for my newsletter and say hi on social media. I'd love to, I always love to be in contact with fans. Um, and I also want to apologize if you heard any meowing. My, my cat has insisted on being part of this, this chat today. Hey, I have a cat in every book and every series, so, and they're all my real cats. So no apologies about meowing, not from me. <laughs> <laughs> And this has been Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries. Thank you, listeners, for joining us in the Cozy Corner, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>